0: Good morning, Lakeview Church. Hey, before I get started, I just want to say congratulations to Brian and Uni Ricky. I do not think they are here with us today. If they were, we would make them stand and embarrass them, but uh, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary on July 22nd, and we want to just appreciate their covenant to one another and their faithful keeping of their vows over these years particularly for uni putting up with brian that long so uh and if you when you see them next you can tell them i said that that's fine so um but what the next time you do see brian and uni would you just congratulate them on 50 years of marriage and thank them for their example can we just give them a round of applause Also, just want to say, if you're joining us online right now, we're going to celebrate communion at the end of this service, and so we'll celebrate communion here in the room. But if you're at home and you want to join with us in that part of the service, we would love for you just to gather some elements that you can use for communion. So if you've got crackers or bread, or if you've got some grape juice or cranberry juice, love for you to just get those elements ready, and you can do that now so that when we get to that part of the service, you're ready to join with us. Want to just say before we dig into the message, just want to kind of give you a little sneak peek of what's coming uh, over the next several weeks and really next couple of months. So, next Sunday, we're going to finish out this message, uh, which we're calling Living Sent. And really, this comes out of our desire here at Lakeview Church to be everyday missionaries, to live as people who have been sent by God to share His good news with people around us. And so, next Sunday, I want to encourage you to be here. And if you look around and you see people who are part of our church that are not here today, invite them to be with us next Sunday because I'm going to give us a very simple and practical strategy that every single one of us, regardless of how young you are or how old you are or anywhere in between, you can use this simple and practical strategy to live as an everyday missionary in our community. And I've been praying for God to stir in the hearts of our church that we would go out into our community and we would invite people in. Because I want to see our church grow. I don't know if you want to see our church grow, but I want to see our church grow. And the only way that we get there is when we as God's people go out and we speak to people who are not in church about what we believe, and who we have found a relationship with, and we invite them in. And so I want to encourage us next week with the message to do just that. So I want to encourage you to be here, and if you see somebody who's not here today, invite them to be with us next Sunday. Now, after that, we're going to get into the month of August, and school's coming back, and... I see that head shake right there, I saw it, I saw it, I feel you, I feel your pain. Um, School's coming back in session, but in the month of August, we're going to have a new message series that will carry us through all of the Sundays of August. I've been working on this message all summer, this message series, it's called The Spirit-Filled Life, and we're going to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit's role and work in our lives as God's people And I'm going to encourage each and every one of us to surrender more and more of who we are to the control of the Holy Spirit so that we as God's people can live the Spirit-filled life. And while we're walking through that message series, we're going to be in 21 days of prayer. So that's going to kick off on Monday, August the 8th. We'll introduce it on Sunday, August the 7th. And for those of you who already are familiar with 21 Days of Prayer, you know that we do this every January and every August. It's an opportunity for us to seek God. And this really comes out of our core value of spiritual fervency as a church. We believe that the only true hope for our church, for for our community, for our nation, for our world is God. Right? Right? The only hope for our world is God. And so we have to seek him with a fervency and with a passion that reflects that belief. And 21 days of prayer, it's not the only time in the year that we pray. We ought to pray 365 days a year. But during 21 days of prayer, we turn up that spiritual intensity and that spiritual fervency, and we seek God together as a church body. And some of you are saying, so how do I do that? Well, 6.30 every morning, yes, 6.30 does come twice a day, and we're going to gather here in the sanctuary at 6.30 in the morning for an hour of prayer. You say, what do we do during that? hour of prayer. We pray. Go figure. We don't have like worship service. We don't have a devotional time. We literally open at 630 with the reading of God's word. We will read the passages for that day from our daily Bible reading plan. We will turn on music, and we will spend the entire time seeking the Lord. And you can do that by sitting in the pews. You can come to the altar and kneel and pray. You can walk around like I do. Or if you say, the music is distracting. I need a quiet place to pray. We set aside our prayer room as kind of a quiet space. So if the music is distracting, you can go in there and spend time in prayer. We just want you to be in this space. And together as a church, we want to seek the Lord in prayer. So 630 every morning. And then on Saturday mornings, we're here at eight. We let you sleep in a little bit on Saturdays, 8 a.m. here in the sanctuary, and we will have a time of worship. We will have a short devotional, and then we will spend about 40 minutes in prayer. And the way that we do that is we open up every ministry space in the building. So you can go anywhere. You can go in the kids rooms. You can go in the youth room. You can walk through the hallways. You can walk throughout the sanctuary, throughout the school. You can go anywhere in this building and just pray for the presence of God to fill this space and particularly to pray for God to meet with us in powerful ways on Sunday mornings. And so I just want to invite every single person to make the 21 days of prayer a priority. We can not expect a move of God if we are not willing to be on our faces before God. So we need to build a culture of prayer, and 21 days of prayer gives us an opportunity to do that. So that's coming in August. And then September and October, I've been working on a series of messages from the Gospel of John, and I am super excited about this message series. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at conversations with Jesus. All throughout the Gospel of John, there are interactions that people have with Jesus, like Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime when no one will see him where Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, or he speaks to the woman caught in the act of adultery. And we're gonna look at these conversations with Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, and it's gonna be a great series. I've had so much fun working on it and just learning from it, and there's gonna be something for everybody. So if you're a veteran Christian, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, there will be things that will challenge you. If you're brand new in your faith, there are gonna be things that will challenge you. And if you have people that you know that are unchurched and do not have have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is going to be a great series for you to bring people with you. Every Sunday during this series, we are going to give people an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. So if you've got people that you're praying for in your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers who don't know Jesus, bring them with you. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in their life even right now and bring them with you to church in September and October on at least one of those Sundays. And we're going to give them an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? I hope you can. Uh, We're we're excited about what's happening this fall. We're working on some other uh, really cool ministry projects for this fall, and uh, we're going to be working on finalizing the details over the next week or two on some of those. And all throughout the month of August, you're going to hear about what's coming this fall and ways that you can grow in your faith so that together we as a body can follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference. So I'm excited about this fall and excited about what God's going to do in and through us as a church. Now this morning, we're going to dig into that passage of scripture that my son read for us. He's a good looking young man, isn't he? Looks like his father. <laughs> Actually, my wife would tell you he looks more like their side of the family. So <laughs> But that passage in Jonah chapter 4 is a passage we're going to dig into today. Remember, we started this series last week and we talked about the importance of obedience. Right, God asked Jonah to leave his homeland and go to a foreign place, to go to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital city of the nation of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were kind of the arch enemies of Israel. They hated God's people. They wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, I'm getting ready to destroy them, but I want to give them an opportunity to to know that I'm going to destroy them so that they can repent and return to me and they can." Can can be saved. So, Jonah, I need you to leave your land and go where they are and give them this message so that they have an opportunity to repent. And Jonah says, Nope. He just goes the other direction, right? He goes down to the port, he buys a ticket, gets on a ship, and heads in the opposite direction. And we spent all of last week's message talking about the importance of obedience because Jonah's going the opposite direction from where God wants him to go, but God chases him down, right? God's not willing to let Jonah keep going in the wrong direction, so he chases him down. He doesn't say, well... I lost another one. I'll just find somebody else to do this work for me. No, he's committed to Jonah. So he runs after Jonah, causes a storm. They throw Jonah overboard and a great fish comes along sent by God to swallow Jonah whole. And Jonah goes to this prayer retreat center that God has prepared for him in the belly of this fish. And he spends time communing with God in that place. Jonah realizes he's rebelled against God and he's got to turn around and go a different direction, which he does. So God has the fish puke Jonah up on the seashore, which is just a wonderful image to have in your mind, right? And Jonah gets thrown up on the seashore. I assume he cleans himself up. And then he goes to Nineveh and does what God asked him to do to begin with. And he gets there. He preaches the message. Hey, guys, God's going to destroy you if you don't repent. And from the, the king of Nineveh all the way down, everybody in the city repents They put on sackcloth, they put ashes on their head, they go into a time of mourning and repentance and they repent to God, they return to God and God forgives them and he chooses not to destroy them. And then Jonah reveals his heart. Because you can actually obey God, you can actually do the right thing The thing that God wants you to do, but you can do it with the wrong heart. That's what Jonah did. Jonah did what God asked him to do, but he did it with the wrong heart. And today what I want to talk to you about just for a few minutes before we celebrate communion together is this whole concept of developing a compassionate heart. I mentioned it last week that there are two major themes of the book of Jonah, this short little book which you can read in just a few minutes. There are two main themes. The first theme is the theme of obedience, which we talked about, but the second theme is the theme of compassion. And when I read the book of Jonah, I see four layers of compassion in this book, and I want to just kind of walk through them pretty quickly here as kind of an introduction to to the point that we're going to focus on today. The first layer of compassion that I think we see in the book of Jonah is this, this layer of compassion that God has for the world. Now, it's, there's not a verse in Jonah that I can point to and say, see right there, it says God has compassion for the world. Because it doesn't say that in the book of Jonah. But I want you to think about what's happening in this book. We have The God of Israel, the God of Jonah's people who has already redeemed Israel. He's already made them his special possession. And this God is concerned about the enemies of his people. If if I were God, which we can all be really grateful I'm not, but, but if I were God, I would not be thinking about how do I save the people that hate my people? That's not how I would do it. If I were God, I would just say, gone. Take that. Again, we should be really grateful. I am not God. Right, but, but you might do the same thing. If you were in charge of everything and you had a people that were your special people that you loved, that you called, that you redeemed, that you saved, and you were trying to make them into the people you wanted them to be, and there was another group of people that hated your people, you might, as God, say, I'm going to get them but that's not what God says. God says, those people aren't living the way I want people to live. They're wicked, they're evil, they're going in the wrong direction and God says, I wanna warn them. I I wanna go, I want somebody to go to these people and let them know that they're going in the wrong direction and there's another direction that they can go, that they can repent that they can actually turn around and start going the way that I want them to go. And if they do, I will pull back my wrath and my anger, and my judgment upon them. This reveals God's compassion for the world. If God loves his enemies that much, then he must love everyone. And, and we see this, right, in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And then we, we all know that verse. But, but then do you know the next one? John three seventeen. for God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. When we think about our God, God has compassion for the whole world. Second layer of compassion I see in this story is the compassion that God has for Nineveh. We see it in Jonah chapter four where, where God says to Jonah, Jonah, don't you know that there are 120,000 people that live in the city of Nineveh? And, and shouldn't, I, shouldn't I want them to be saved? And, and I think we see something here about the heart of God, that, that when God thinks about Nineveh, it's not like there's one special person in Nineveh that God wants to save. Not like a special family. Not like that, man, those people are really important. We should go save that family. No, when God looks at Nineveh, he sees the whole picture. He sees the entire city, and it says something about God, that when God looks down, he sees entire communities of people, and his heart breaks for the whole community. We see this in Luke 19, where Jesus goes up on the hill, and he looks over Jerusalem, and he weeps. And he prays for the city of Jerusalem. Why? Not because there's one person in Jerusalem or one family in Jerusalem, but because there's an entire city that's not aware of who Jesus is. I think it's important for us to understand this about God, because God, when He looks down, He doesn't just see you and He doesn't just see your family, He sees the entire city of Marion. He sees the whole of Grant County. He sees entire communities of people and his heart breaks. This is why, by the way, that I don't think we have any room or time to compete with other churches in our city or in our county. Why would we waste time or effort or energy doing that? We actually need every Bible-believing church, every church full of Jesus followers to be on the same mission together because 42,000 people in Grant County do not have any religious affiliation whatsoever. They are separated from God. And that number of 42,000 does not include people that are a part of other religions that aren't Christian. So when we do all of the math, what we know is that six out of every 10 people that you come into contact with in our city and in our county do not have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. And when God looks down at Mary and when God looks down at Grant County, he sees every one of those people and his heart breaks. And so it's not about which church is better than another church. It's about how can the church in Marion and the church in Grant County do its job of giving people all over our city and county repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our job. God's heart is broken for Marion and it's broken for Grant County and our heart ought to be broken too. Third layer of compassion in this story is God's compassion for Jonah. And I really think of all the people in this story, Jonah is testing the compassion of God more than anyone else. I mean, God can look down at Nineveh and say, they don't believe in me. I can at least understand why they're living the way they're living. But Jonah, you're one of my peeps. You belong to me. You know me. You're a messenger for me. And Jonah, you just don't get it. Right, Jonah, when he hears what God wants him to do, goes in the opposite direction. He's rebelling against the call of God. And, and we've already talked about how God has to chase him down and you know, give him some time in the belly of the fish and, and, and bring him back to do what God originally asked him to do. But, but after Jonah does what God asked him to do and, and the people repent, they do. I mean, Jonah's successful. I mean, this is like if I went into this downtown square in Marion and preached the gospel and 27,000 people in Marion all turned to Jesus and, and everybody was now following Jesus, I would be running laps around this church building. Like I would be so excited and so thrilled that God worked and God moved and look at this amazing way that God's hand was evident, except that's not what Jonah does. Jonah does what I do when my wife tells me something that I do not want to hear. He goes outside and he pouts. And yes, I do pout. When my wife tells me something I do not want to hear, I go and I pout. I, I turn on, you know, some video game like NHL, and I just hit people. I don't even care if I score goals. I'm just like, because I'm angry, I'm upset, and I pout. That's what Jonah does. And, and Jonah is revealing his heart. Because he actually, he actually shows his heart of, of why he did what he did in Jonah chapter one. Right, we talked about all the reasons he might not want to go to Nineveh, like he might die there. They're going to hate him. They might reject him. It's impossible. It doesn't make sense. It's going to cost him something. All of those things may be reasons Jonah didn't want to go, except Jonah tells us why he really didn't want to go. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, and this is what it says. I think we're going to put it on the screen for you. I hope. Yes. So he complained to the Lord about it. Again, remember, the entire city just repented. What Jonah did for the Lord worked. And what does Jonah do? He complains to the Lord about it. And this is where he reveals his heart. Look at the next phrase. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Lord, I knew what you were gonna do. That's why I didn't wanna come. He says, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. That's why why I went the other direction. Not because I was afraid, not because it wasn't going to work, not because it was going to cost me something. I ran the other way because I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to angry and filled with unfailing love. Jonah says, You are eager to turn back from destroying people. That's why I didn't want to go, God, because I knew you would forgive them. And I don't want them to be forgiven. God has compassion for the world, He has compassion for cities like the city of Nineveh. He has compassion for Jonah. But what the story of Jonah is all about is God's trying to develop a compassionate heart inside of Jonah. Because Jonah doesn't have one. Jonah's not saying, God, thank you that you love the people of Nineveh and thank you that you're, you're using me to make a difference in their lives. He's not living generously and he is not committed to making a difference. He didn't want to go to Nineveh to start with because he was afraid that God would be gracious. Let me say it another way. It's not just that Jonah doesn't have compassion. Jonah hates these people. And what God's trying to do in the story of Jonah is not just save Nineveh. He's trying to save Nineveh because he has a heart for them. But God's trying to save Jonah in the process. He's trying to develop in Jonah a compassionate heart so that Jonah's heart looks like God's heart. As much as I want you over the months of September and October to invite your friends to church, I don't want you to do it out of some religious obligation or some duty to be obedient to God. It's important for you to be obedient to God. But what I really want is for your heart to be broken for the people in your family and your relational network who don't know Jesus. And I want you to see them the way God sees them so that you are compelled to share the hope that you have with them and you are compelled to invite them to church and you are compelled to tell them about Jesus. Not just because God's twisting your arm and making you do it, but because the heart that you have for them won't let you do anything else. See, God doesn't just want to develop a bunch of people who have obedient behavior. He wants to develop a church that has his heart. So when we think about the point of the book of Jonah and the story that we're in today, it is that God wants to develop a heart of compassion in you and in me. He wants us to be compassionate people. And like last week, we looked at barriers that keep us from obeying. I think there are things that keep us from, from being compassionate, right? I, I think probably one of the biggest things that keeps us from being compassionate is just good old-fashioned selfishness. I mean, we, I think we see that in Jonah. I don't want them to be saved. They don't like me. They hate me. I want them to get what's coming to them. This is just pure, unadulterated selfishness. And I think sometimes in our lives, we get so wrapped up in our world and our issues and our concerns and our schedules, we are just laser focused on me that we forget that others exist. And so selfishness can keep us from having a heart of compassion for those around us who are lost. I think prejudice Again, I think this is a little bit of what's going on in Jonah's life. He's like, I know those Assyrians. They're wicked, evil people. I want them to get what's coming to them. And, and whether we like it or not, if we're really honest, there may be people or groups of people in our world that when we think about them, we don't, we don't actually want them to experience God's goodness because we're like, they don't deserve God's goodness. They should get what's coming to them. And, and we forget about the God of grace and we pray to the God of justice. We want them to get it, get whatever is coming to them. Or maybe in our lives, we just simply have the wrong perspective. We're seeing them with human eyes and we are not looking at them from a divine perspective right? Jonah, Jonah sees them as enemies. He sees them as people to be defeated and destroyed. And God says, no, there's 120,000 people that I made and I want them to be saved. It's two different perspectives. Maybe in our lives, we lack compassion because we're, we're just fatigued. We're tired. Right? I think about you know, these last couple of years that we've been through as a world. And, and if I could just describe what I see in a lot of people, it's just fatigue. Just a tiredness, just like, is this ever going to go away? And in, in the middle of all the stuff with, with COVID, we've had you know, racial tensions and political divisions. And now we've got all these economic challenges. And, and does anybody just want to take a nap? I mean, it just feels that way, right? And, and when you're that tired, sometimes it's hard to have compassion for others because you're just wore out. And then, of course, I think there's just busyness, which we talked about last week. And, and I, I really do think this is, this is probably the more dangerous pandemic of our time, is that we are too busy to support the life that God wants us to have. And we fill our schedules and we wear our busyness as a badge of honor and and we do all of this. I'm not really sure why other than I think part of it is we just want to make ourselves feel important. So when people ask us how we are, we say, well, I'm so busy. And that's like, look at me. Look at how busy I am. I must be important. I must be somebody and, and I think when we're busy, we just don't have the bandwidth to have compassion for others. We are just wrapped up in this race that we are running, and we lack compassion. But while we could continue going on and on, because I think there are lots of reasons we lack compassion, really there are as many reasons we lack compassion as excuses we can come up with to not care about the world. But when you boil all of them down, whatever it is, tiredness, busyness, fatigue, whether it's just spite or prejudice or bitterness towards others, whatever issue it is, just name it. When you boil that issue down to its root cause, it's all a matter of the heart. Jonah had the wrong heart. And what God was trying to do in this story is he was trying to show him how to have the right heart, a compassionate heart. So how do we develop a compassionate heart in our lives? First and foremost, I think we need to spend some time in reflection. We need to actually examine our hearts, And I would just encourage you to get before the Lord and and just kind of pray Psalm 139, Lord, search me. Search me and see if there's any way in me that doesn't line up with you and then lead me in the way everlasting. And, And I don't know how else to do that except you gotta just carve out some space in your life to make yourself present to the one who is always present with you. Just make yourself present to him and ask him in that environment to search your heart. And as you sit before the Lord, just to simply ask him, Lord, are there any motives in my heart that would get in the way of me being compassionate toward the world? Are there factors that are keeping me from seeing the world? Am I looking at things from the wrong perspective? Am I too busy? Am I too fatigued? God, what is it? Show that to me and lead me in the way everlasting. Secondly, we need to go to prayer. We need to ask God to help us have his heart, right? The the best resource we have in developing a compassionate heart is that we serve a God of compassion, right? Jonah rightly diagnoses the character of God in Jonah two. This is what I know to be true about God. You are gracious and compassionate. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. And you are eager to give people a way back to you. That's God's heart. And we know him, right? Like in the movie Elf, I know him. Some of you will get that later. We know God. God can help us. And so when we go to prayer, we just simply ask the God of compassion to take his heart and make it ours. God, replace my heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And let me have compassion for the world like you do. Next, we have, to, we have to actually connect. We have to go out and engage with people who are not in the church. I, I just wanna say here, especially lost people, this is not just like being kind to your next door neighbor, though you, should, you ought to be right? But, but if you've got a next-door neighbor who's already following Jesus, I'm, I'm asking you to be kind to them, but then find some other people who are lost. And sometimes when we use the word lost, and maybe you're not like a church person, you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you think, oh, here we go. He's going to talk negative about lost people. It's not the case at all. We use the term lost because that's the term Jesus used. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. It's the only time in all of his ministry where he tells three stories back to back to back with one point. They all have the same point. It's just repetition, right? He's just, he tells a story that's got a point and then he tells another story that has the same exact point and as if we weren't listening, he tells another story to make the same point yet one more time. And all of the stories have this in common. They all tell a story about something that is lost. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And all three of these stories communicate that that which is lost has incredible value. In fact, Jesus tells the story in such a way to say that that which is found has less value than that which is still lost, right? If you've got 10 coins and you lose one, what does the widow do? She moves out all the furniture. She sweeps the entire house, why? Because the lost coin is the most valuable. And she's got nine, isn't that enough? And the shepherd who's got a 100 sheep brings them into the fold and he counts heads and he says, I've got 99. One is missing. What does the shepherd do? Say, 99%'s not bad. No, he leaves the 99 in the fold and he goes to look for the one that's lost. And the father who's lost his son spends. Every moment of every day, looking off in the horizon, keeping one eye peeled for when that sun turns to come back home. So that when he sees the sun coming down the lane, he tucks his robe into his belt and he runs to meet him. When we talk about lost people, we're not using that term in any kind of condemning way. We're saying we believe that people around us who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are incredibly valuable to the Father. And as much as God loves for us to be in this room, those of us who are followers of Jesus, worshiping him today, he's got one eye on the horizon. He's looking for your spouse. He's looking for your kids, your aunt, your uncle. He's looking for your neighbor, your coworker, the people that don't know him today. People who didn't have a single thought of him this morning when they woke up. That's who God's looking at today. He's looking at us and he's like, that's good, I'm glad you're here. But you're the 99. And as much as I love you, I really Love those people. And some of you have been in church for so long that you don't have any other friends except church people. And I'm just gonna lovingly tell you, get some new friends. Get some new friends. Because we live in a mission field and we had to get out there And we got to engage with people, especially those who are lost. Because as we do, God will stir our heart of compassion for them. And then lastly, I think we need to take action. And this is where the importance of obedience comes back, right? Because you're going to go out and you're going to engage with people and God's going to say, you know what? Uh, These people, uh, they need this. And God's going to stir in your heart to to add value to their lives by meeting a need or serving them in a particular way. Or or maybe God's going to say, you know what, you need to tell them the story of how when you were full of anxiety, I gave you peace. Or how when you were caught in a life of addiction, I set you free. You got to tell them your story. And when God moves on your heart and says, I need you to serve, I need you to work, I need you to add value, I need you to share your story, I need you to share the gospel, it's up to you in that moment to be obedient. And if you've got a compassionate heart and God's putting his heart inside of you and you're listening for his voice and you're surrendered like we talked about last week, God's gonna use you to make a difference. And this is what's gonna happen across our church. I've been praying for us to literally become a mission agency for Grant County. I've been praying that there would just be waves of salvation breaking over our church, that we would get to a place in the life of our church where every single week people come to know Jesus. Now, we're not there yet. But I believe God is stirring our church up to be everyday missionaries with compassionate hearts and obedient spirits that are gonna go out into this community living as sent ones for his name and for his cause. And I believe God's gonna use us to make a difference. Now, this morning, we're gonna respond to the word of God by celebrating communion and communion for those of you who don't know maybe if you're newer to the church or maybe haven't quite figured this out yet we have this practice that we engage in it's a practice we've engaged in since the times of Jesus in fact Jesus himself is the one who instituted this practice On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he was crucified, gathered with his disciples for one final meal and he says to them in this meal, guys, I wanna just bless this bread. I wanna break it. I wanna give it to you and I wanna let you know this is my body which is being broken for you and he gave them the bread and he had them eat it and then in the same way, after they'd finished eating the bread, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is the cup of the brand new covenant that I'm making with humanity. Drink this. And ever since that night, the church, followers of Jesus Christ down through the ages have practiced this ritual. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. It really is just an opportunity for us to remember the compassionate heart of God who demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God had compassion for us when we were still lost. And we come to the table this morning to take the bread and the cup and to be reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us, not because we were good or because we had it all figured out or our lives were all put together. No, he did that for us because we were lost and we had incredible value in his heart and he wanted to save us. So this morning, as you come to the table, I'm asking you to come in your hands with gratitude. I know you won't see it, right? Because gratitude's not a gift that you can see in your hands, but I want you to come to the table this morning with gratitude as if you're carrying it to the Lord to say, thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. And then as you give that gratitude to the Lord, I want you to empty your heart before him. Don't hold any of it back. Give it all to him. And then your hands will be empty. And as you receive the piece of bread and you dip that into the cup and you partake of those elements while you're here up front, I want you to ask the Lord to give you grace. Grace that would make your heart like his. Because that's what communion is. It's a remembrance and it's giving gratitude to God for what he has done, but it's also receiving grace for what he wants to do in our lives. And so this morning as we celebrate this act, we come to the table with gratitude, but we come to receive grace. Now in a moment I'm gonna pray to consecrate these elements, but before I do that, I wanna just give a very quick word of instruction. When you're dismissed from your row, you're gonna stand up and and. When you stand up, you're going to move to the outside wall based on the side of the sanctuary you're in. So if you're on this side in these three sections, when you stand, you're going to go to that wall. That's the outside wall, okay? And if you're on this side, you'll go to that wall. And when you get to the nearest aisle, you'll make your way to the front and you'll come to the station that's in front of your section. there you'll receive a piece of the bread and you'll dip it in the cup you'll partake of the elements while you're here up front and then you'll return to your seat using the other aisle of your section and you'll just file back in and this will allow us to move through this time as efficiently as we can but before we do any of that i want us to pray and ask the lord to make himself known to us over these next few minutes so let's pray together God, we come before you in these moments and we are grateful for the compassion that you have had for our lives. You are the God of second chances that when we run the opposite direction, you chase us down. And even when we do things with the wrong heart, you lovingly try to correct us and guide us and lead us. You are a good God and you're worthy of praise. So God, this morning, as we prepare to serve communion at these tables, we are asking today, God, that you would bless the bread and the cup. That you would take these ordinary, everyday elements and you would infuse them with your presence and your grace right now. God, as we come to the table, help us come with grateful hearts, with gratitude. And Lord, would you fill us with grace so that we can have compassionate hearts that look just like yours. We love you this morning, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to invite you this morning If you're walking in right relationship with the Lord or if you earnestly repent of your sin and wanna begin walking in a right relationship with the Lord, to come to the table of the Lord this morning and receive his grace.